Hello, this is Eric Sinrod from Dwayne Morris bringing you your uh, weekly Tech Law 10 podcast where the law and information technology intersect. This is our podcast number 257, 257, Going Strong. I'm joined as ever uh, by my colleague, Jonathan Armstrong at Cordery. And Jonathan, you're thinking security, you're thinking breaches. Talk to us. Uh, thanks very much, Eric. Uh, uh, Jonathan Armstrong here at Cordery. Um, yes, yeah, so the UK has uh, many things to thank the US for, including, I guess, Oreo milkshakes, the work of Colonel Saunders, and <laughs> possibly the importation of class actions onto these shores. And uh, last week was a pretty significant week in terms of class actions in the UK with two uh, major cases and a uh, third one about to come. Now, we've talked before about uh, class actions and the rights that individuals can have to bring cases when they have suffered a data protection infringement. And in the first case, uh, last week, the Court of Appeal uh, heard a case against Google. Now, you can argue whether this was a data breach or whether this was a misuse of data. I think I probably veer towards the latter. But this case involves Google and what's uh, called the Safari workaround. So Google collected data from uh, iPhone users. And you might remember that we talked about this some uh, podcasts ago, I think, there's some litigation brought by somebody called uh, Richard Lloyd, and he tried to sue Google on behalf of a whole class of people that weren't identified but excluded judges because they couldn't um, effectively appear as the arbitrators of their own case. Uh, and it was, in UK terms, a fairly unusual move in that, generally speaking, representative actions in the UK have to be opt-in, and this was almost opt-out. As I say, the, the, the litigation didn't identify specifically who uh, Lloyd was suing on behalf of. And the uh, original judge was fairly critical of the litigation and kicked it out. The, these are interim proceedings in part to enable the, uh, the defendant, Google, in this case, to be served. And the Court of Appeal looked at this case last week and granted the appeal. Now, this could be a significant case in its own right. Richard Lloyd says that the class is uh, as many as 5.4 million people. And given Google's estimate of the potential liability, if the uh, claimants per capita figures for damages are accepted. This could be litigation of between one and three billion, with a B, um, a pounds. So that's uh, pretty significant. And it's uh, also relevant to note that the claimants have got litigation funding from funders to bring this litigation. Now, all, this case doesn't in itself open the floodgates. What the court has said is that um, now Google can effectively 
issue these proceedings and serve them on Google, and Google might have one or more defenses available. Uh, that's uh, assuming, of course, that Google doesn't appeal. It might well appeal to the Supreme Court. If it's going to do that, it has to appeal within 28 days of the judgment. Now, uh, this case is also significant when combined with two other cases that are going through the courts. One involves Morrison's. That was a data breach. We've talked about that before in these podcasts. And it's about a, an employee who downloaded a list of other employees and, and shared it outside the company. And the other case is some litigation against British Airways after their data breach. And that case was also in court again last week on Friday. And again, this was a uh, preliminary hearing, but the court heard that as much as half a million people might have been affected by the BA data breach. Now, you'll remember that the UK Information Commissioner's Office has uh, served a notice, notice of intent to fine BA. That's uh, a significant amount of money, £180 million uh, ish. Of course, that fine could go up and it could go down. But this civil action is in addition to the amount that the ICO intends to fine. And the green light was given for this case in the High Court on Friday with what's called a group litigation order, which enables people to join together and bring an action uh, together. So that case, again could be significant, though, again, um, BA could have many defences to that uh, litigation as well. So um, I don't think this is an opening of the floodgates just yet, but it shows that when people focus on data breaches and data protection violations, they're often just focused on what the regulator can do. For, uh, cases like BA and Marriott Tellers that regulators have the power to fine. Other cases, like the HMRC case, tell us that regulators have the power to do other things, like to stop us doing stuff. But last week's developments mean that civil actions are more likely than they were 10 days ago as well. So organizations will have to factor that into any response that they're giving when they uh, come across a data misstep, whether that be a breach or a, a misuse of data or a simple breach of their transparency obligations that so they've told somebody they wouldn't do something, and they did. So a significant week, I think, last week, Eric. It does sound very significant. Thank you for sharing. And I have to make one correction. You said Saunders. We call him Colonel Sanders over here in the U.S. <laughs> Well, I'm happy that that inaccuracy was corrected immediately. Right. But everything else you said was, was spot on. Um, uh, but very good point. Uh, you know, as I've said for a very long time to businesses, uh, good security does equal good business, and you just have to do the best you can to prevent these breaches. But it seems that those, you know, bent on causing the, the breaches uh, are relentless, and they, they do seem to happen inevitably. Um, we've also counseled over time that it's very important that once a breach happens, it's uh, you know vital to disclose the breach to those affected 
And it's not surprising that over time, you know, the various states here have enacted data breach notification laws. You know, as a matter of procedure here in the United States, I suppose, you know, we are very much at the forefront of class actions. We have what's called Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 23. We have analogs uh, in terms of state procedures. But essentially, when there are similar claims, when there's what we call numerosity, a lot of people affected, and there can be a showing that there's going to be adequate representation, you know, across the entirety of a class in terms of class representatives and their attorneys, and that a you know, class action means of going forward is the best method, then a class uh, potentially and likely can be certified if all those criteria are met, and then it can go forward. And then what happens is those people who would fall into the class will receive a notice, and if they don't want to be part of the class, then they can essentially opt out and say that they'd rather pursue their claims individually, which oftentimes is difficult for the individual person affected to mount their own litigation, uh, especially if, you know, a given claim for one person is not significant, uh, but in the aggregate, aggregate as a whole, uh, it is significant, then it proceeds as a class. Uh, but I think you make good points. I think we're going to be seeing this going forward. Uh, I guess I'll turn it back to you and see if you have any further predictions before we close out this podcast 257. Yeah, no, uh, very valid points, I think. I think it illustrates that the processes aren't exactly the same on both sides of the pond yet, but they are hmm. becoming more similar, and I'm sure it is a topic that we'll return to in time. Yeah, would you say that the U.K. is following the U.S. class action model more and more? Yes, definitely, yeah, and I think we're sensing that in other parts of Europe as well. So we've yeah. had, um, you know, one of the setbacks has been the, what we call the Schrems 2 case. So Schrems right. 1 is on safe harbor, Schrems 3 on standard contractual clauses. We're expecting developments in December. But the Schrems 2 case concerned uh, class action against Facebook, which w is somewhat set back. But I think that we do see moves in, in other parts of Europe as well towards class actions, particularly for data privacy cases, because as you said, it's oftentimes relatively low levels of damages across a whole category of people. I like the word numerosity. It's a new one to me. Yeah, yeah. And then just finally to point out that as we explain all of this, we're not commenting on the substantive merit uh, pro or con in terms of a given case right now. We're just, we're just talking about developments as, as, as they're unfolding, but we're not saying one claim has merit versus another or does not. Yes, okay. Good point. So it's important to remember that they are preliminary hearings and that substantive cases haven't been heard. Exactly. Okay. Well, this is Eric Sinrod at Dwayne Morris. You can find me at ejsinrod at dwaynemorris.com. Um, you can find us on the usual social media outlets. Uh, Jonathan, why don't you wrap it up? Yeah, thanks very much for listening, and thank you for your uh, comments, Eric, which were finger-clicking good. Um, Jonathan <laughs> Dodd Armstrong. Finger-licking. Uh, Finger-licking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jonathan Dodd Armstrong at uh, CorderyConfliance.com will speak to you with more possibly chicken-related news in the next week or so. I guess we're the leaders of fried chicken and class action. Thank you very much. <laughs> Cheers. Bye-bye.